0: this week, this week of Tuesdays, you're, you're always looking back kind of on the year a little bit, whether it was a great year, there's some tough stuff you walked through, you're always looking back on that last year. And we're kind of looking forward to the next year a little bit, right? We're kind of excited for the resolutions, we're excited for that stuff. But it's this week of Tuesdays, it's just kind of a reflective week. And so this morning, I just want to have a simple conversation with you guys. Uh, we'll get you guys out of here early. My promise to you, if I break it, forgive me, I'm sorry. But we just want to have a simple conversation. And as we kick off the new year, what I don't want to do is give you guys four tips for a great new year. I don't know what they would be anyways. So that's not what we're going to do today. But what I want to do as we head into this new year, my hope for you as one of your pastors, is that as we go into this new year, that our hope would be more secured and tied to Jesus. That as we go into this new year, that we would experience and and taste and walk with Jesus in a newer and fresher way, in a way that we understand him and relate to him even more, that our lives would be more reliant and tied to Jesus. Reminds me of a passage that is one of my favorites, it's kind of been on my heart over the last couple months, and it's John 15. Jesus says this, he says, "'Abide in me and I in you, "'as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself "'unless it abides in the vine, "'neither can you unless you abide in me.'" I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so that's our hope. That's our hope as we head into the new year, as we're thinking about all this new stuff, if you're here and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, is that we might abide more closely with Jesus, that we might soak in his grace, that we might soak in his forgiveness, that we might soak in his goodness towards us, and his promises that we just sang about, that we would soak in those things. And it's It's easy to say here when it's Sunday and we're all feeling good, but the struggle is that when we leave, that when we go back to work, when we go home and the kids feel like they've been home from school for like nine years, you're like, is school still open? Are they going to go back ever? This This has been too long. That the struggle is that we want to abide, but we leave this place, we get back into the rhythms and the currents of life, the busyness of life, the pace at which America goes. And it's not very compatible, right? We live in a frantic world that goes at a frantic pace, right? And so we want to abide in Jesus, but our hearts and minds are filled with, ah, it's the end of the month, got to pay these bills, kids need to go back to school. Maybe you had some family and friends in town, and you're like, that was just weird. I said some weird things, they said some weird things, and it was just weird, and it's kind of bugging me. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe this new year, you're like, man, if next year, if this year was any indication of next year, next year is going to be awful. And and this abiding is like, ah, it's not really sounding that great because we know that the struggles and the frantic rhythms of life pull us away. And that's a struggle, right? That is the struggle. I think if we're honest, if we're honest sometimes, abiding with Jesus, this being united with Jesus, this walking the daily walk with Jesus, we're like, if we're honest, we're like, I'm not sure that's going to be better for me than the rhythms of my own life and the rhythms of my world and the rhythms of which the way things should go that I think they should go. We don't think that it's going to be better. or At least we don't trust it, right? If you're here and you're a believer, we put our trust in Jesus for our eternal salvation. We trust that someday when we die, we're going to heaven to be with Jesus. But we're not sure if abiding with him daily is going to be the best thing for us, right? I go to the doctor down the street pretty often because I get sick all the time. You'd think that a diet of pop and candy would have its perks, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't. I'm sick all the time. And I'm always surprised. I'm like, how do I get sick? Sarah's like, because you chew on everything and all you eat is candy. That's why you're sick. But I go to the doctors and I'm like, doc, I'm sick again. And she's like, <laughs> I get like frequent flyer miles by going over there for colds. And she's like, if, here's some medication. Here's some stuff. Take this and you'll feel better. This is the best thing. It tastes nasty. you might feel a little bit gross for a couple days, but take this. It's going to be the best thing. And without, and she's like, oh, you need to rest. You need to chill out. That's going to be the best thing. I'm like, yep. And I never do. I keep, keep working, keep singing, keep all this stuff. And I keep going. And I'm like, I, don't, I just kind of ignore what she said, right? I don't trust that what she said is going to be the best thing for me. I'm like, you've got a degree, but I'm pretty sure my sweet tarts are doing just fine. Like that's, that's sometimes the, 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 the push and pull of this, right? And as we look into 2019, I think there's two ways on which we can kind of continue through this year. And it's simple. It's a simple conversation we're going to have today. Not going to blow your socks off. But we can walk through this year abiding with Jesus, trusting that the way of Jesus, that a way of peace, that a way of rest, that a way that puts our neighbor above ourselves, that a way of forgiveness is going to be better than the crazy, frantic distractions and rhythms of our culture and of our minds and of our hearts. That's kind of the two things we're looking at today, because here's the truth. Each one of those different things are going to bear different fruit. Jesus says, if you abide with me, you'll bear much fruit. So if we abide in Jesus, we're going to bear the fruits of the Spirit, among other things. And if we abide by the rhythms of our hearts and the rhythms of our culture, we're going to bear fruit, but it might be different than what we want, right? Right? So as we go into this year, we're just going to have this simple conversation. We're going to look at just a simple story in the Bible. You may be familiar with it. You've been around church. If not, we're going to read it. It's great. But you guys can open your Bibles to Luke 10. I think your notes have the page number. I don't have the page number. It was a week of Tuesdays. I forgot to write the page number down. But the page number is on your notes. so You can read it on me uh, up on the screen. This is Luke chapter 10. Luke is one of the Gospels. It's one of the four uh, books of the Bible that kind of tell the story of Jesus. And Luke, the guy writing this, was actually a doctor. He was always telling people to take medication that they didn't take. But he was a doctor. And so he's writing this. To when um, to, he writes it very, very specifically. There's lots of details in his account that he's writing. But this is what he says. You can jump in with me. Luke 10. It starts at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples, that's all of his buddies, were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So Jesus and his friends are kind of coming back from doing all kinds of awesome stuff. And Martha says, Jesus, you guys, come on in. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus responds, he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So there's a story. Jesus is walking. He comes to this house. A lady named Martha invites him in, and her sister Mary just sits at his feet and listens while Martha's busy cooking, getting some tacos ready, getting everything clean, and her sister's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's like, Jesus, can you tell tell her to help me out? That's kind of what's going on. And then Jesus responds to her. And so as we're looking at this, we're looking at the two different ways we can abide to walk through this year, that we abide with Jesus, we walk or abide in the craziness of our culture. It's going to bear different fruit, right? And pulling from this, looking at this story, which I think is so relevant for us in 2008, 2019. We're close, 2019. For us in 2019, this is so applicable. Look at this. So we're looking at the fruit of either being distracted versus being present. Just depending upon the way in which we walk this life, we're going to go to the fruit of being distracted Versus the fruit of being present. Look at what Jesus, look at what this passage says. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I know sometimes we kind of think, man, if Jesus was just here, if he did a miracle, if he just told me what to do, things would be easier. Things would make sense. Martha had Jesus on her love seat and she was still distracted by everything that had to go on, right? She was still so busy. She was so hurried. She was so distracted. This is what I think. This is my opinion. Take it or leave it. But I think I'm right. Being busy, being hurried, being distracted, living in a culture that kind of feeds us things, I think is one of the biggest obstacles to following Jesus. If you read the Gospels, like Jesus had some important things to do. He was important, full schedule. But he was never in a hurry, right? That even as we read the story of Jesus, there's these, he rests and he goes away in the silence and he, he's never hurried. But I think sometimes this being distracted, this being hurried, can be our biggest obstacle to following Jesus. And I think in our culture, oftentimes, we pride ourselves in being busy, right? We, we pride ourselves in being busy. I saw this, this article by the um, Harvard Business Review. It's just a little light reading I like to do, the Harvard Business Review. Do you guys read that too? Not as smart as me. Uh, I just Googled it. But it's, a, it's just interesting. They did a study. It says, for this study, researchers asked American participants to look at fake social media posts from a busy person. So they, they did this study. They had a fake post from a person that said, oh, I've been working nonstop all week. And they had another fake post from a person that said, I'm enjoying a long lunch break. And the results of kind of people's reaction to this was they viewed the person who is busier as a higher social status than the person who had some free time. That we in our culture, you know, we, we kind of all are that way. You talk to somebody, like, how have you been? And they're like, so busy, just so, Ugh, watched so much. I watched Bird Box all week, and it's been so busy. If you don't know what Bird Box is, I don't know what it is either. Everybody's watching it on Netflix. But we're so busy, right? We're so busy. Pastor Johnson sent me this other article from the Smithsonian, just a wealth of big old sources this week. And it was looking at Christmas newsletters over the last century, I was looking at all these Christmas newsletters and kind of looking at all the words and the language of them over the century. And they said that as the century went on, words such as hectic, whirlwind, and crazy were used more and more. People were competing about being busy. Can you guys relate to that? Do you know people like that in your life? You're probably that person. I'm that person that we pride ourselves. We have so much to do. The current is so quick in our culture that we're so busy. We're so busy, but we're also so distracted. We are so distracted. <laughs> this is a bad joke. We're so distracted. <laughs> Think about this. Think about this. We all, we all are addicted and distracted by, by our devices, by our phones, right? And I, I was talking to my wife about this and I kind of felt stupid talking about this because I know that I'm one person that is addicted to my phone. Like, I'm preaching this to myself as I'm reading this, as I'm reading about being abiding in Jesus, I'm like, flashlight on myself. But we're addicted to our phones. These are just some stats. I think they're interesting. 95% of Americans have a cell phone. That basically leaves people in jail and babies are the only people that don't have cell phones. Everybody else has a cell phone. 95%. And this is interesting. In 2011, in 2011, eight years ago, yeah, quick math, eight years ago, Only 35% of people had smartphones. I was one of them. I needed to get that phone, man. I got to get it. 35% of people had smartphones. Now it's 77% of people have smartphones. And that's all well and good. They're very helpful. A lot of us work on our phones. I work on my phone a lot. But what's interesting is that reading this study, it said that up up to four hours a day we spend on our phones. I know you don't. I know you don't. It's the kids. But still, the average is that four hours a day we're on our phones. And just stick with me. I don't, I'm not trying to just give you some fun facts. Stick with me. Four hours a day, we're, on a phone. we're so busy, we're so hurried, we just have so many things to do, but we're playing Candy Crush for four hours. Do people still play Candy Crush? I have no idea. For four hours. My wife and I were at Olive Garden a couple weeks ago. We took her out on a nice fine dinner. <laughs> Soup salad and breadsticks, unlimited. And we went, and every time she's like, I got to go to the bathroom. She's pregnant. It's a lot. And every time she goes to the bathroom, I just pull my phone out. It's like a reflex. Like she leaves, it comes out, I pull it out. But we were sitting there and, and she she's like, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm like, yep, surprise. And she goes, and I go to pull my phone out and I'm like, wait, I'm going to be a hero today. I'm not going to get my phone out. I'm going to leave it in my pocket. I know. Don't be amazed. Write that down in your notes. Aiden left his phone in his pocket. Be more like Aiden. But I left my phone in my pocket and I thought I was such a hero. I just sat there like looking around. I'm like, these people are amazed by my skills. And I watched a family play thumb war, thumb, rock, paper, scissors, one of the two. They're confusing. But they sat there and played that and I sat there not on my phone and I'm like, I'm a new man. But it was like one of the only notable times I could remember her not going to the bathroom me pulling out my phone, right? We're so distracted. We're so busy. Think about this. I heard uh, my, my a friend uh, in Colorado, his pastor said this. If you wake up in the morning and it's the first thing you grab, have some friends, have some family, maybe it's you that have maybe struggled with different addictions, whether it be alcohol or different things, the first thing when you're in that addiction you grab is alcohol. And if it's the first thing you wake up and grab, there might be an addiction there. We might be addicted to it, right? Now stick with me. You're like, Aiden, why why are you giving all these fun facts and making me feel bad? I'm not making you feel bad. I'm probably the most guilty in the room. But what I think about is that all these norms of our culture I think, are antithetical. They're the opposite. They get in the way of us following and abiding with Jesus, right? Like, think about it. We, with all these things, our attention span gets so short that we're like, the Bible? Like, God's Word to us? That's long. That's got a lot of books. I just do the verse of the day on my app, and some days, my verse of the day is in the Old Testament, and I just, I skip that one. I skip that until it's Psalms or something. something, something easy. But our attention span is so short that God has given us his revelation, given us his word, given us a story of salvation, the story of redemption. And it's like, that's a lot. That's a lot of books that I don't have time to read, right? Sometimes the pace of our culture is so quick. We have so many things to do, and some of them are good things, great things. We have so much to do that God calls us to, to be together. He calls us to be in community. He calls us to do this life together, and we're like, not this week. I have a dentist appointment. I can't. It's got to only do one, you know, and we we don't come to church. We don't go to grace group. We don't, we're not involved in community because there's so much going on and a lot of it's good stuff, right? The pace of our culture is so quick. Now stick with me. If if one of our ways we live is abiding with Jesus versus the currents of our life, I think when we're stuck in the currents of our life, we're going to end up being discipled by somebody else. For so many of us, being a disciple of Jesus, abiding with Christ, being filled with his goodness, is great, but our head is so much more full of Hannity and Tucker Carlson, who's on Fox News, of Jake Tapper, Anderson Cooper, who's on CNN, of podcasters, of bloggers, that those are the voices that fill our head. Those are the most important voices that sometimes it's incompatible with what Jesus has to say, right? Like, I think what he's really saying is that but we're disciples of something else, right? For myself, I've been listening to this podcast for the last five, six years. I love it. It's a faith and culture podcast. It's really funny. It's hilarious. And I, I, listen to it, I listen to it every week. And it's good. It's fine. It's not bad. But I listen to it every week. And what I find is that so often my opinions or the lens with which I think about things or my take on things is so often reflective more of what those guys say than what Jesus says. And I'm like, man, I think I'm being discipled by someone else. I think I'm being distracted by the pace and the rhythm and the noise of this world. If I was Satan, which I'm not, but if I was, <laughs> it's a weird thing to say. <laughs> I would use, I, I think the easiest way to distract a whole, a whole kingdom of believers is like, hey, just be on your phone, listen to this guy. This guy has an opinion that's kind of like Jesus, but a little bit more mean. And you have to distract them from what Jesus is saying. The fruit of this culture is going to be this distraction. It means hurriedness, going to be this busyness. But look at Mary. Look at Mary. She was present with Jesus. If the fruit of the busyness of our lives and culture is this distraction, the fruit of abiding with Jesus is being present with God look at she was just present in the moment with Jesus there's a discipline to that I love that it says Mary sat at his feet and listened she just sat and listened (laughs) can you imagine like she's like "Uh uh-huh yeah okay that's great like she just sat at the feet of Jesus and listened she stopped she rested she sat down she listened to what Jesus had to say because being with Jesus what he had to say was the most important thing was the most important thing. And we'll see later in a little bit how, how that affects her life, how that affects her worship, this presence of Jesus and being present with him. And I think that sometimes we don't slow down. We don't take a break. We don't listen to what God's saying to us because we don't, we don't trust him. We don't trust that abiding with him is the best way to live. And so we maintain control, right? If life is going to be this busy, if life is going to be this hurried, if life is going to be this crazy, this wild, then I've got to at least control it, at least make it go my way a little bit. So I'd say that I think the fruit of abiding in our culture is, is going to be this fruit of control, whereas we as a, a fruit of being with Jesus is this fruit of contentment. Check this out. Being in control versus being content. I think this is so powerful. Think about this. Martha invites Jesus into her home. Her sister, who's supposed to be helping her, sitting at his feet, and she's getting ticked. Do you know when you're like, when you're mad at someone, you're being passive aggressive, you're like washing the counter because your husband's not helping and you're like trying to do the dishes, banging my Come help me. Like you're ticked about it. Look at this. She says, Martha says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. This is fascinating. Martha has her own priorities, her own things that she thinks is most important. The way that she thinks life should go And when Jesus doesn't, isn't part of that, she gets ticked at Jesus and says, don't you care? How often is that us? How often is that myself? And I'm like, Lord, I just want an easy day. Dear Lord, give me a good day. And my day's not good. And I'm like, you're a mean God. Do you even care? Do you even care about me? It's fascinating that's what she says. That so often we spend no time resting, no time trusting, no time relying on Jesus being filled with Jesus, and then we're like, man, Jesus, do you even care? Like, we're looking at it this way, and Jesus is like, that's not even what's happening. When I was in high school, I, uh, I worked at a sports complex. You could probably tell by my, my, you know, sports body that I worked at a sports complex. But I worked there in high school, and one of the things we did was we did birthday parties for kids. It was very simple. Set up the pizza, set up the thing, got the balls out, let them play. It was very simple. This was like 06, 07. The Jonas Brothers were a big thing. I got a lot of tips doing this job. It was great. But, but we, we, you'd come, your kids would come, and you'd have different types of parties. You could do soccer party, baseball party, football party. The best was dodgeball party. I usually got in on that. But we have all these different parties. And one summer, this, we had this party. There's nothing else going on. It was the middle of July. There was a, a basketball birthday party. It was a basketball birthday party. My job is just to set the pizza out, get the balls out. You guys have a good old time. It was a basketball party. It wasn't for a 15-year-old. It wasn't for a 14-year-old. This party was for a three-year-old who was turning four. He was three years old and he's turning four and his parents were like, this is basketball time. I think this is the time where he becomes LeBron. This is the time. And so 20 like three to four-year-olds show up and all of their parents, it's the middle of summer and I'm standing here looking like Nick Jonas and they're all like, all right, teach our kids how to play basketball. And I'm like, I don't think you read the pamphlet. I don't think you looked at the website on how this works. I'm not going to teach them anything. And they were so mad at me. They were so mad at me that I wasn't teaching their kids. I mean, it looked like a Cavs basketball practice. It was terrible. And they were like, why aren't you teaching my kids to play basketball? I'm like, this wasn't part of the program. They were so mad. I think that's what's happening is Martha has this way she thinks she should go. And she's questions Jesus's care for her based on what's going on. And my response when they all left, I was the manager. I'm like, those people were insane morons thought i was going to teach three-year-olds basketball and that's exactly the opposite of how jesus responds to martha jesus responds she's frustrated jesus don't you care tell her to help me she tells jesus to help tell my sister to come help me out he's like what are you doing but this is how he responds he says martha martha no exclamation points not in all caps He tenderly calls her back. Martha, Martha, you're busy and hurried and distracted by many things. He calls her back to himself. And kind of the opposite of that is that we see Mary, we see this fruit of contentment. This contentment that she's with Jesus. That there weren't other things going on. Mary was content to sit with Jesus. This is what I think. Again, this is my opinion. Chances are I'm right. That I think that contentment is one of the most powerful fruits. It's one of the most powerful results of trusting and following Jesus. One of the most powerful results is contentment. You guys may be familiar with this passage. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a lot in the New Testament. He's writing a letter to the people in Philippi He's writing a letter to the Philippians. These are people that kind of supported him out on his missionary journeys. Paul would go around and plant new churches and the Philippians were one of the churches he planted and he's writing a letter to them. And I think this is so powerful, what he says. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So he's writing to these people saying, hey, thanks for caring about me. I know you couldn't FaceTime me or pick me up an Uber, but I'm so thankful that you care about me. And this is what he says. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's a familiar verse to you. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I don't know if you know that verse, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, but it's not a verse about winning football games. Tebow, it's not what it's about. It is so much bigger than that. It's so much richer than that, that Paul is saying that regardless of if I win the football game or not, regardless of if the Browns win today or not, I don't even know if it matters. I don't know anything about the Browns. Regardless of what happens, Paul is gonna be content. Regardless of if he's well-fed or hungry and need or want, doesn't matter. Paul's gonna be content. Regardless of if you're working your dream job or if you hate getting up in the morning and going to that job. Whether your kids are little angels that sleep all night or it's like, man, they operate, they haven't slept in weeks. I think think they may be zombies, I'm not sure. Whether you're like, man, I feel exactly the relationships and everything in my life, I feel like everything's humming and I'm killing it. Or you're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. No matter what the situation is, No matter what the situation is, contentment is found in Jesus. Man, that secret. Being content in all circumstances, all situations. Paul says, I found the secret of being content no matter what. In all of Paul's hope, all of his identity, all of his his life that he was doing was rooted in Jesus. And it couldn't be taken from him. Contentment is found in Jesus. I think it's one of the most powerful fruits of following Jesus. Contentment, regardless of what happens. Give me some more of that, right? Give me some more of that. Now, listen to this. Don't confuse contentment with not doing anything. We've all got that uncle who's like, I'm perfectly content doing nothing. That's not what he's saying. Contentment isn't laziness. Jesus says, If you abide with me, I'll bear much fruit. Contentment isn't just sitting around. Look at this, look at, this is, this is Mary, the same Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus in the book of Luke, the same Mary whose sister Martha was ticked, the same Mary who sat and listened is the same Mary in the book of John who anoints Jesus. Check this out, John 12, it says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, classic Martha, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Just a little side note Lazarus is a friend he brought back from the dead. So Lazarus better brought a nice gift to this party. (laughs) Among those reclining at the table with him was Lazarus. Then Mary, the same Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus, took out about a pint of pure nard. It was an expensive perfume. And she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. This was before Jesus would descend into the week where he'd give his lives for us, that she anoints him. Now this pure nard, this not something that woke up this morning, sprayed a little nard on. What nard is, the passage says, it was, it was a, a perfume that would be a year's wages for this stuff. A year's wages. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know if that's 25, 35, 40, 150. I don't know what that is for you. A year's wages. She takes it out and she puts it on Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. She anoints Jesus. Man, this response, this is the same Mary who sat at his feet and listened to him, who was filled with his goodness. She gave everything she had. In this crazy, almost degrading way, she's like, Jesus, I want to I lose everything. I want to give this to you. And she anoints Jesus. Jesus. She had so much contentment in Jesus. She was so filled with who Jesus was. She trusted who he was that she responds and gives everything that she has in worship. She knew that Jesus was the only necessary thing. Which leads us to a last thought of these, these fruits that are, that are born of, of these different ways of following Jesus or following the world. I think one of the fruits of following Jesus is that we'll have one desire versus many goals. We have one desire. Jesus says that Mary chose what the one thing was, and it won't be taken from her, versus Martha, who had all these things to do, many goals. Think about myself when I was in college, kind of in the 21-year-old range, where you're not sure what's happening in the world, and I wanted to do everything. I had all these goals, Wanted to play the guitar, wanted to play the piano, wanted to learn to sing, still working on that one. Wanted to, wanted to write, wanted to be a blogger, wanted to take awesome pictures, wanted to make videos, and wanted to travel. Sounds pretty millennial, doesn't it? I wanted to do all these things. All these, I had all these different goals, all these great goals. And when I failed at them, when there was someone that was better than me at something, when I feel like, man, I'm really going to be this now, and then I failed at it, it kind of makes me upset kind of make me worried and what I realized what I learned is now all these goals weren't bad all these things were good things but I was rooting my identity I was rooting my contentment in these things and what lied beneath all these goals what lied beneath all these was a desire to be justified I mean this is super simple right like if I could just be as good at music as Garrett is then people will like me if I could just be this biblical wizard, then I could, if I could just be a good enough, if I could just be all these things, then I'd be happy, then people Like this is this isn't a surprise, right? You all have your things. If you could just be super mom, if you could just be the best manager, if your employees would just respect you, if your boss would just love you, if you could your wife, if you could do all these things, then everything would be great. That's so many of our goals are bad things, but so many of our goals are these attempts to self-justify. If we could just then we would whatever, because that's the pace of our culture, right? It's not enough just to be a good mom. You got to be, watch your kids 40 hours a week, work 40 hours a week, sleep 40 hours a week, do Zumba 40 hours a week. I don't know how many hours in a week, but I feel like we're over it already. The pace of this culture, the pace of our hearts, the pace of our minds is so busy that We have all these goals. We're distracted by all these different Things that we're burdened by the pressure of justifying ourselves to others, to our family, to our in-laws, to ourselves. We are burdened with the pressure to, to justify ourselves to God. That, man, I, this is the year I'm clean, up. I'm going to get to church every Sunday. God will be so happy with me. And that's the way that we live, whether we're justifying ourselves or to God. I have to think that in all of Martha's busyness and her preparation, there's probably a piece of her that's like, I hope Jesus likes these tacos I hope Jesus thinks this is the cleanest hut in all of Israel. Like, I think she was stressed about all this stuff, but some of it was this need to self-justify, right? But I love this. Jesus says this in Matthew. In our attempts to keep our attention on ourselves to try and justify ourselves, he says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is like, come to me. Let me be the one thing. I love what he says in verse 41. It says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, many things, but he says few things are needed, or indeed just one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken away from her won't be taken away from her jesus calls us to have one desire and that's himself that's his goodness because only one thing is needed in him we have rest he has rest for our souls i think that he can give us rest from the busyness and the craziness of our own lives our own culture our own hearts our own minds right if we abide in him he invites us into a different way And so, as we close, I I, I think about this as we head, as we walk into this new year. As we have all these goals, all these distractions, all want to control, as we walk into all these things, I don't think it helps to be like abide in Jesus. You're like, thanks for the tip. Could have just wrote that on a card and given it to you. I think the thing about Jesus that He calls us back to Himself with grace. Like as he's sitting here with Mary and Martha's busy and hurt, he's not like, hey, come sit down. Sit on the floor. Listen to me. You fool, I'm God. It's going to be great. Listen to me. He doesn't do that. Sometimes we need that, though. There are stories in the Bible where Jesus is like, what are you doing? But I don't think that's what Martha needed. He knew that she was worried. He knew that she was distracted. She knew that she was busy. I think with empathy, with care, with passion, he's like, Martha, Martha. You're worried about so many things. You don't need all these things. You don't need all these things. All you need is me. Sometimes we think God's like, you need me because I have an ego and you need to like me. Like, God isn't a bully who needs approval from you. He says, come to me. He knows that everything we need is found in Him, that He's the fountain that doesn't run dry that we can come to him, that his yoke is light, that his burden is light, come to me, that we find life and life abundantly in Jesus. He knows all this. And he knows that the distraction, that the addiction, that the busyness, that the hurriness, that the pace and rhythm of our culture, which is overwhelming, he knows it doesn't work. How's it working for you? Everybody's depressed. Everybody's anxious. Everybody's sad. Everybody's sick. And he's like, I don't think that works. Abide with me and I will give you rest. But you're like, yeah, but I did that and it didn't work out. You're finding your contentment in your situation. You're finding your contentment in Jesus. I think as we walk into this new year, he's calling us, hey, gently calling us, come be with me. That if you're someone you're like, if you're like me, and you're like, man, I feel so distracted. I feel like I'm addicted to my phone. I feel like I'm not good at all this stuff. I feel like I'm totally abiding in the culture. Jesus is tenderly calling you, come back to me. Come here. Come sit at my feet. Come drink from this well. I am the one thing you need. Yeah, but I think I need the one thing you need. Yeah, but I have to get my taxes done. I'm the one thing you need. All these other things, all this peace flows from Jesus. That Jesus calls us to a way of peace, calls us to a way of rest, he calls us to a life in the kingdom where he says, my yoke is light. What's a yoke? It was a way that they worked with oxen that he's calling us to work, but work that matters. Work that we find identity and purpose in. Work in his kingdom, right? Being co-workers with Christ is what he calls us to. And so I, I asked the question, what, is that, what does that tangibly look like to be with Jesus, to abide with Jesus, to sit at the feet of Jesus? What does that look like? read your Bible, pray, go to church, yes, yes, but I think those things become, p- p- sure, those aren't attractive sounding things all the time, because we think of them as just some list of things we have to do. But prayer, that when we get to pray, we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, we're casting our cares upon him. Every time I pray or read my Bible, I sit down, and put my face in my hands, and I just, I just exhale. That as we go, as we sit with Jesus, like, Jesus, would you take my cares? Would you fill me with your promises? Would you fill me with your goodness, Jesus? Would you allow me to rest in your promises just like we sang about? That as we spend time with Jesus, we sit down and the rest and the solitude and prayer, and Jesus, fill us up. Here are my cares. Would you fill me with your goodness? Fill me with your mission. Fill me with a love for my neighbor. Fill me with a love for other. That sometimes we're like, you need to go to church. Just Go. Man, we got to be part of a community where we gather around the word and the glory of Jesus. We sing together, reminded of the story of Jesus, encouraging one another, serving one another at groups during the week. It's a chance to bring what Jesus is doing in our lives, the struggles of our lives together, and let that transform each other. I think that Jesus speaks to us through the people around us. This thing wasn't meant to be done alone, Part of sitting at the feet of Jesus, sitting with him, is being with others, being in community. Part of being with Jesus, part of sitting at the feet of Jesus, is diving into his story of redemption, his story of grace, his his promises that are written out in Scripture. Read your Bible. Yeah, yeah. But reading your Bible, if it's just a checklist, doesn't sound like it's very satisfying, right? But when you read the scripture, when it's the story of Jesus, when it's God's revelation to us, when it's his heart to us, when it can, conceals his promises and it reveals what Christ has promised us, man, I want to drink from that well. I want to be with Jesus. I want to sit at the feet of Jesus and abide in him and let Jesus produce this fruit from me. And so as we walk in the 2019, this is my hope for you guys as one of your pastors. There's a hope for myself that as we get to this spot next year, no matter whether how great it is or how hard it is, no matter how many victories or how many failures we have in 2019, that we would sit at the feet of Jesus. Be like, Jesus, I, I need you more in 2020. I need you even more. I want to know you more. I want to be tied to you more. I want my hope and my contentment to be rooted in your goodness. Will you guys pray for me as we, as we close out? God, we're so thankful For your promises, we're thankful for your patience with us. We're so distracted. We're so busy. We're so overwhelmed. We're worried and we're upset about many things. And God, I know that there's people in here that their minds are filled with so many things hard mountains they have to climb this year, uncertainty that they have to walk through this year, the burden of 2018 dragging behind them. There's so many things that we're carrying with us, Jesus. We're upset and we're worried about many things. And Jesus, our prayer is simple, is that you would be the one thing that we need, that you would reveal your goodness to us, that you would reveal your promises to us, that you would reveal your truth to us, your grace, your forgiveness to us, Jesus that you might be the one thing that we need and that everything would come under the umbrella of your gospel and of your goodness. We're thankful for your patience with us. We're thankful for your promises. We're thankful that we can come to you with our burdens and lay them at your feet. As we go into 2019, I pray that your spirit would walk with us, that you would remind us of your presence with us. It's because of Christ alone that we pray. Amen.